Hey, what's going on? I'm Jeremy Lee, and you are listening to Episode 9 of Reading the Play, the show where athletes share their story and experiences about life and sports. Additionally, we'll break down some key decisions they made so you can get a better understanding of their journey and where they are today. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so that you can hear other great stories by athletes. You can also find them on sportcalgary.ca. For more content, follow the Facebook page Reading the Play and to get the latest news, including new episodes dropping, follow on Instagram at Reading the Play or myself at Legacy. If you're looking for more volleyball content, you can also check out some great stories from Kate Pexman and also from Reagan Fathers, who had an amazing journey getting over here from Australia. In this episode, we go to a different side of sports as we dive into the coaching world. I get a chance to sit down with one of the brightest up-and-coming coaches in the volleyball community. Sean McKay, head coach of the St. Trojans men's volleyball team, led his team to 18 wins in his first year at the helm, and then built on that foundation in his second season, guiding his team to 20 victories and not dropping a single set in provincials en route to winning the ACAC gold. On the flip side, the Trojans also got swept in their opening round matchup at Nationals and he shares some tremendous wisdom from that learning experience. Plus, we get a deep dive into the start of his coaching career and what it was like to help develop the sport in the Caribbean. There's so much good stuff in here. Well, it looks like Sean's all warmed up on the hot seat. Let's get it. Sean McKay paying a visit to Story Island today. I'm excited to have Sean on the show. And Sean, you're a former University of Western Ontario grad. You know, funny story, my mom is as well. Oh, there you so go. She's, Mustang. She, yeah, exactly. She loves everyone who's a former Mustang, and you're automatically number one in her books, even though you've never met her. <laughs> yeah, that's usually how it works with Western. they got a pretty strong alumni group. Seems like the people that leave there are pretty, pretty tied to it. So let's dive a little bit into your story here. Going back into your early days, you're from Sudbury, mm-hmm. Ontario. Yep. How big is Sudbury, by the way? Uh, Sudbury's about 160,000, so not tiny, um, but it's it's pretty secluded from anything large, about four hours outside of Toronto, so definitely a pretty small town feel for 160,000 people. So were you playing volleyball in high school already? Yeah, yeah. so basically it's not known to be much of a volleyball hub, um, but with just the school I ended up going to, I ended up having the local college coach as my high school coach so that was kind of my introduction to the sport um Stephen Beausoleil was his name coached at Cambrian um I guess technically now I would have been coaching against him he's not still there but um same kind of league CCAA and he was kind of my first introduction to the sport I guess so when you first started playing volleyball was it just rec style or were you right into competitive volleyball yeah I guess um I definitely wasn't right into competitive. I started in in kind of the high school and, and elementary school, as we call it, out east kind of transition. So in those grade seven, eight, nine, started playing for the school team. I guess technically it's competitive, but not at all high level. Um, I guess my first exposure to anything semi-competitive was grade nine or ten. I played on the club team. Uh, called Le Diable, it's shut down now as a French club team. Uh, and we traveled down to Toronto and Ottawa, to the big cities, and, and played the big city teams there. Did you start out as a setter, or were you um, oh yeah, outside I was hitter? Much, uh, I was pretty much setting 
from right when I started. As soon as they had set positions I was setting, I may have swung outside a bit. I remember playing a little bit of middle, um, but that was more so just being from a small town. You had to fill whatever position you needed. They needed you at. So um, I think it added and you get a different appreciation for the game, but definitely setting was the only place I was ever competitive. What is it about setting that you enjoyed so much or decided to make it your main focus? Um, I think when I first started, it's because you always get to contact the ball. Um, and I needed need attention, needed kind of stimulus when I was playing a sport, needed to be active in it. And if I could go two rallies without touching a ball, that would drive me crazy. So to always have hands on the ball and, and in turn, and I think later in my career, it was control of the game. But at the start, it was just more touches, more fun for me, I thought. I grew up playing baseball and everyone wanted to be a pitcher. And so as you're describing that, that's what it seems to me that if it would be the equivalent, it would be the pitcher in volleyball where everyone maybe wants, was that the case? Was everyone just flocking towards that setter position? Uh, I don't think it's quite the same because of the nature of the emotional part and how a pitcher gets so much of the glory, whereas the setter doesn't. Right. Right. We're, we're very give and, and not a lot of take. So I think in that sense, it's different. But in the sense that you control the game when you're pitching, absolutely. Um, you're, you're kind of the brain and a little bit of the, the body behind the operation. Um, but definitely a lot less recognition when it comes to setting. And I, I actually talk about it a lot in my broadcast where you don't really acknowledge the setter unless if they made a mistake. Yeah, totally. And I think especially when you're not exposed to a ton of volleyball at a high level. We, we begin to really recognize a setter running a game plan or a setter finding matchups. Um, but definitely as a spectator, it's not, um, it's not the nice North American slam dunk, big dangle kind of position, right? It's a very intellectual position and in a finesse position, I guess you could say. So not exactly what we love to see in sport. For you, when did you first start cultivating serious thoughts about playing volleyball at a higher level uh, I think it was around grade 11 12 I thought that oh okay I could probably play college we played a lot with the college guys I got called up to those practices because we were such a small town there looking for bodies right um, and seeing where I matched up against those guys I thought okay I, I could definitely play in the college league and and that kind of opened me up to the idea of playing at an even higher level at uh, CIS or U sport now I guess but from an academic point of view, I was completely university bound. Uh, so I think that actually diminished my my hopes of playing a little bit because I thought maybe I couldn't make it there. Even despite your team not performing well against the bigger schools, mm-hmm. say in Toronto, Ottawa, but for you personally, you recognize that you were able to play at a college level from the get-go because sometimes your lens or your perspective can get jaded a little bit based on how your team performs overall. For sure, yeah. And I don't know if I always had huge high hopes, and, and I don't know if I always thought I could play at a, at a university level. Um, college, yes, but but out east there's a, maybe even a bigger difference between the college and university levels. So I didn't think I had what it took to, to play at that university level. And, and that's kind of how my university career ended up going through being a walk on and that sort of thing. So yes, I had some confidence, but I didn't have it to the level where I thought I could have got as far as I did, I guess you could say. Right. So let's transition a little bit into that where you ended up being a walk on at the University of Western Ontario. Mm -hmm. 
but coming out of high school, not much traction in terms of attention or exposure, scholarship no. offers. No, no, no. I, I never actually got recruited at all. Um, I contacted the, the coaches of a few schools, Waterloo, Queens, McMaster and Western, uh, and really only spoke with Jim Sage and Chris Lawson was the coach at the time at Waterloo. Um, and Waterloo was thinking of maybe taking me, but if it was, it was to, to become a libero, something I wasn't super interested in. I also was just more attracted to Western. Um, so I talked with Jim a bit. He never really gave any indication that I would be on the team. He gave me the opportunity to play on the junior varsity team and also uh, try out for the team in the fall. So you hear about this open tryout at UWO. What did you do to prepare yourself for that day? That summer, I came off of being an alternate on Team Ontario. And it was a very weird atmosphere in the tryout. I was obviously super nervous. Um, The team actually trained, had a training camp for a week before. So a lot of the guys I played Team Ontario with had already been practicing with the team. Um, Or guys I knew from club ball were already practicing with the team for a week. And then I came along. You're in frosh week. There's a ton going on. You head to the tryouts. Pretty nerve-wracking. I think for the most part, Jim had it in his head that he already had a spot for me. Um, He had a couple other setters at the tryout, but there was definitely no indication for me that I was going to be on the team. Uh, After the tryout, uh, I think it was two tryouts, then I got a spot in the locker room and that sort of thing. So that was pretty exciting. Uh, I remember that being a huge, huge moment um, for me and a huge validation of I guess you could say all the work that I put in and and not having had all the opportunities that maybe the big city kids did um, or the ones that were in a little more established clubs Um, but it was definitely nice to to get that validation one of my favorite questions to ask athletes is how was your transition into your first year at university because it's a whole different ball game for sure for sure coming out of high school yeah Um, different training environment obviously those are the best athletes I'd ever played with at the time, um, far better than what I was used to being from that small city for, for most of my life playing with them. Um, so for the volleyball part, it was tough, but exciting. I'm, I'm a pretty hard worker. I think that's what I pride myself on. So when it came to outworking those guys, I think I was, I was one of the top guys on the team. Um, pretty social guy. So I could get along with the older guys. I mean, Getting along with a fifth year and your first year is a pretty tough task some of the time, but I was fairly mature, I would like to think, um, in some sense at least. Um, So was your main goal in that first year just to try to get the respect of your teammates? Like, Was that one of the biggest goals that you had? For sure, yeah, and and development, of course. As a setter, um, you're coming into a scenario where everyone needs a lot out of you. And, and yeah. each guy needs something a little different. Right. Um, so often you get kind of the brunt of the feedback, whether it be positive or negative. Um, so whether you like it or not, you're going to be the center of attention because you're, you're feeding the guys the sets, right? So it's, it's interesting to see how rookie setters, I had one this year at SAIT, how they adjust to especially the negative feedback. Um, Because you're going to get it at some point. Um, Set location, set decision. I was pretty good. I remember a couple of times guys would would put it on me and I wasn't afraid to put it right back on them. But I've seen some guys handle it a little different. right? So um, I think I did a great job. 
but at the same time, uh, I remember having some pretty stressful nights after, uh, after not finding my location too much. When did you start seeing regular playing time? Uh, it would have been my second year in the preseason. Um, kind of coach gave me a shot a couple times. There was some, some talk about me getting some time near the end of the first year. Um, but by that time, you're pretty well established. I honestly don't think I, I think I earned it in the hard work sense, but who cares about hard work if you're not, if you're not doing the job properly. So I, I think I was very close at the end of my first year and that led me to get a chance when the games didn't matter anymore at the start of the second year. Um, so preseason, I did a good job there. I think we took down a couple Can West teams and then kind of just had a really good year. We had a good team. And if you're winning as a team, you're probably not taking your setter off the court. It's kind of a, a decent rule of thumb, right? So we had a really good team. I think we went probably 20 and two that year or something like that. So I know we got first. So it was kind of a, a no brainer for the coach to put me in. Now, was it, would we have won the league? Or would we have won the championship if I wasn't in? Who knows? But um, when you're winning, you usually leave that setter in. But did you do anything between your first and second years that maybe mm, propel your game forward? I would say I, I worked out. Yeah, uh, That was the biggest thing for me. I would head home in the summers, head back to Sudbury, hit the weights. That was a huge part of not only what I think I changed and, and got a lot better at through university, but I think I changed the culture surrounding that mm, at, you were saying at that, yes. the program. Yeah. And and I think that's really what propelled me because I wasn't getting great reps over the summer. So it couldn't have been that um, maturity-wise, leadership-wise, um, some intangibles, I guess. Um, but physicality was my biggest jump. Being a small guy, I needed to be a little more physical than I was in my first year. How were you able to get all the guys on board to just create a different culture that you needed to be more physical? Um, well, and, and I can't say it was just me. There were some other pretty, some guys that would like to go hard, go hard in the weight room. But I, I think it was just a lead by example mm-hmm. um, and not just by showing up, but your attitude in the weight room. And then other than that, it was kind of just holding guys accountable. I was never afraid in my career to call a guy out, whether he was first, second, fifth year. And I think that's important. Athletes holding each other accountable is the most powerful form of, of motivation, I think. Hmm. Um, and I, I really just kind of, if a guy's name wasn't checked off on the attendance sheet, we, we let him have it. So heading into your third year, you get a captaincy. Mm-hmm. Would you say that's due in part to your leadership off the court and on the court as well? Yeah, yeah, no, I think for sure. Definitely on the court. That's when I really started coming into my own really starting to figure out how to run an offense and my my teammates knew that I was was there for them and and I think that was pretty important I had a pretty good volleyball IQ just like I wasn't afraid to to let my teammates know sometimes I wasn't afraid to let the the refs know and sometimes that's necessary from a captain as well so I I think just being outspoken being vocal and leading by example um, really kind of allowed me to, to fill that role well. Um, off the court also, um, I was never afraid to, to go out with the guys or, or host the party at my place. So uh, I think that had a lot to do with it. You're in university, you're 20-something-year-old guys. Um, that's part of life. So I think that uh, that helped me along the way there too. You talked about leading by example on the court. Mm-hmm. What other characteristics would, would a good leader possess in um, leading on the court? Yeah, I think as a good leader, you can't take days off um, because you know as soon as you try and hold someone accountable, um, they're going to remember that time you didn't. 
perform mm, yeah. or you didn't work. Um, and I find in a weird way, I think empathy is also a very important characteristic for leaders and not in a way that it allows you to feel sorry for your teammates or, or not push them, but in a way that you need to understand what someone's going through, what their motivation is for being there, um, their reason for playing the sport, their reason for being at school in order to motivate them and in order to hold them accountable. Um, you need to know what they're going through emotionally, physically, all that sort of thing. Would you be in agreement that it's more important to bond off the court than on it? Um, no, I, I, I think it's, they're two different things. I think they kind of go hand in hand. Often they work together. Um, but I've also known a couple guys that don't get along at all off the court. Um, and you put them on a court and they're, they're best of friends cause they have a common goal, right? That's crazy. Um, yeah. And, and off the court, maybe that's not the case. Maybe one's there for just volleyball. One's there for volleyball in school and that can, can conflict. Uh, maybe you got the party animal who loves the social side and the right. volleyball buff is kind of uh, a little peeved off at him. But I think if you have the same goal and you're willing to put the same thing into it on the court, what happens off the court isn't that important. Um, that being said, it can be a lot of fun off the court as well. Mm-hmm. So thankfully, you had a terrific season in your final year mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. with the Mustangs. Yeah. Taking your team all the way to a silver yeah, yeah, almost almost as terrific as they get, I guess. I think the 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 best part about that what made it a great season was that was probably an over overachievement in about 90% of the volleyball <laughs> world's minds um, or their eyes. Um, the Cinderella story. Yeah, I guess you could you could definitely call it that being the guys on the court. At the time, I didn't see it as a Cinderella story. Looking back, I'm sure if I would have watched game tape, I would have, as a coach, I would have said, how did how did that happen? Um, and how did we have that many good national performances? But I think when I was there, um, we thought we deserved to be there and we thought we deserved to win just as much as every team, except for Alberta. That was the only team I ever played against that I thought, um, I don't think we can beat this team. And that was after. That was after we played them. Heading into that match, I thought we could. Uh, afterwards, I didn't. That brings me to an interesting question, though. Mm-hmm. So at the beginning of the season, let's just say, from the sounds of it, it didn't sound like you guys were expected to, to place that well that season. No, right? not nationally, right. no. I know our goals were to finish with a gold medal in OUA, um, but often any OUA champions kind of kind of stomped out when it comes to to the national championship. That being said, heading into my fifth year, we already had a fourth place finish at nationals. We had some really good national performances. We were kind of two points away from a bronze medal the year before. So I don't think, I think we still overperformed that year as well. We beat Trinity in Laval, but um, I just don't, I don't think people expected us to, to get that much better. We were turning the same guys, but we didn't have a ton of high, high potential guys on our team. What do you think you guys did differently, or what do you think was special about that squad that allowed you to perform so well on the big stage? I don't know. I think part of it is is when you're in a one-win, one-loss scenario, we attribute a lot to being, you know, it was a special team. It was a special year. Um, but when it comes down to it, we won our quarterfinal 
by two points. So is that a special year or is that two points that go your way or or combination of both? Um, that being said, I'd played five years with all those guys. We were a team of fourth and fifth years. We got along super well. Um, we almost didn't need to talk that much on the court, that much in timeouts because we knew um, and whether our systems were dynamite or not, they were so ingrained in us at that point that it didn't it didn't really matter if we had the right systems or not because we followed them so closely. They were pretty rudimentary, but um, we did really well with them. And we just loved to play. Uh, the guys, even if we're down, I know we were pretty far down in the national semi, um, just kept kept playing. We had two extremely good assistant coaches that year, Rob Atkinson and John May. Um, who brought a really different flavor to the mental side, especially John May. Um, and Rob Atkinson was a great guy to have around technically and, and tactically. So um, that helped out a lot too. What do you mean by that? In a university setting and you're in a program for five years with the same guys and the same coaches, you, I don't want to say you hit a plateau, but it's easy to, to find yourself saying, we've been doing the same thing for the last four years. We've been thinking the same things. Our game plans have been fairly similar. Um, and not that they needed to change. It's not like I say these are the wrong game plans or the wrong mindset. But something sometimes something new can bring a new energy into the team that can help those those older guys on the team tremendously, right? Give us a new confidence, give us a new feel, a new swagger. Um, I think that's really what it did. Um, and that helped us out a bit too. I mean, there's a ton of little small things, but I think that was definitely one of them. And speaking of coaches, it was right around that time you were thinking about pursuing a, a goal of coaching? Yeah, I think in my fifth year, I started my master's in, in with a specialization in coaching. I think, and to be honest with you, I started it with the intentions of it just being you know, a way to get back into school. Um, I could have gone back and done a yet another year of undergrad courses and really not gotten much out of it. So right. instead I chose to pursue the the masters. Um, and that seemed like something that was pretty up my alley. To be honest with you, I heard it wasn't the, the most difficult masters either. So at the time that was pretty appealing. It's a win-win. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, and so I was half, I guess at that point I was almost halfway through that masters and and loving it and loving the coaching aspect. Um, at that time, I was working with the weight room in the weight room with, uh, with the head strength and conditioning coach at Western. And I was doing the um, weight training for the volleyball team. So while I was on the team, I was still I was doing the weight training, which was awesome. That was that was a really cool experience. And, and I could only do that because guys had seen me work so hard in that weight room for so long. And, and I think it was, a that was really where that kind of change happened, where I was the one putting them through the workouts, um, still doing my own and that sort of thing. But that was a cool motivation and, and motivational and leadership piece that I really learned a lot about uh, leadership there. Um, while all that was happening, coaching camps, coaching clinics, I uh, wasn't involved in the club system yet or anything. Um, Cause I was still playing tough to, to coach while you're playing. Um, but I would say at the end, I think I knew more about coaching than I thought I did from the leadership role I had on the team. Were you ever considering playing pro? Yeah, I think I considered it a bit. Uh, at the time, my, I remember my body being pretty bad um, and that being one of my reasons for not going. 
Um, I was never going to be the guy that got a, an awesome pro contract or had a huge long pro career, but it was still appealing to me. I think I was a little afraid of failing and not getting a pro contract. And I mean, finishing a master's, there's something to say about that. So I, I wanted to make sure I'd finish school. I'd already invested five years. What is one more year, right? So, Absolutely. um, so kind of the body, the masters, um, a little bit of fear of, of failure, um, kind of all compounded and, and I kind of wiped that off the table fairly early. Um, that being said, who knows, you know, five, 11 setter were pretty, uh, not that popular in the professional scene, I guess you could say. So you've, you've wrapped up five years with the Mustangs yeah. and you've already done one year of your masters in coaching mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Where do you go from here? I think that's a big point in any athlete's life when you think, okay, I'm not going to play this sport anymore. Um, what am I, A, and what am I going to do for a living? And B, how am I going to stay involved? I actually applied for a college job right away in London, didn't get it. It was on the, the female side. So the head coach there, Pat Johnson, picked me up for the men's team. Um, ended up being an awesome mentor for me. Um, I was pretty with that team pretty solidly till the end of that season. Uh, we didn't have any crazy notable finishes, but Pat does an awesome job with his guys. Um, and I kind of learned his his side of coaching, which was nice. Didn't really get exposed to that type of coaching um, prior to that. So he was awesome to to learn from. And that started to click. That coaching really started to click. I wouldn't say I have a great assistant personality, but uh, I definitely started to learn that I love to coach. And the leadership aspect, yes, I'd got a ton of that, but also the technical, the feedback, the error detection piece started to, to creep up. And I liked that a lot as well. What made Pat such a good mentor for you personally? Uh, first of all, we were really good friends. I played with him at Western for three years, I think. Um, at the time, I think I was living in the same building as him. Um, so we had a ton of time to talk volleyball. And we were always super into talking volleyball. I would think we would talk about things that normal volleyball coaches wouldn't feel comfortable talking to each other with. Right. Um, so often as coaches, we kind of puff our chest and we kind of try and show our knowledge where Pat and I would kind of, we still laugh about it, kind of sit on his porch, grab a coffee, and we would just talk about kind of weird scenarios that we would probably never find ourselves in. Um, but you actually got some pretty good conversations out of it and, and started some decent little programs and that sort of thing. Uh, so it was pretty cool. He was an awesome guy to have around at the start of my career, and I'm sure would still be awesome now. Obviously, he's across the country. But uh, definitely my first kind of mentor-ish um, coach and kind of kicked that piece off for me. So you finish up that first year at Fanshawe, mm-hmm. and then you're exploring other opportunities elsewhere. So what comes up for you? Yeah, so... Ironically enough, my roommate's mother at the time was the president of Volleyball Canada. Um, she kind of just forwarded me this contact. They were looking for a coach in St. Vincent and the Grenadines. Quite honestly, I'm not a geography buff. I'd never even heard about it before. Um, but I threw in my resume. I guess I was just almost finishing up my master's at that time. Um, had five years under my belt. I was also working with a lot of the junior programs at London Volleyball Club working with Fanshawe, um, threw my name into the bucket. I knew they needed a coach quick. It was actually two weeks from the, 
or th- maybe three weeks from the day I submitted my resume, I was moving to the Caribbean for, for five months. So that was a huge turning point as well. I guess you can only say that so many times, but that was my first solo coaching job where I was kind of the, I guess you would say the head coach. It wasn't just a coaching role, but I was in charge of what I was You're doing. man. I guess, yeah, yeah, not quite. But um, so that was kind of cool. So all I did is I went down there, I worked with their Olympic committee. We put a, a grassroots system in place, trained their phys ed teachers um, how to kind of deliver volleyball to a young group of um, athletes. I also worked with both their national teams. Their men's team actually has some pretty good success right now within the Eastern Caribbean Volleyball Association, which is pretty small, but it was a, you know, a hundred person, hundred thousand person country. Um, it's on a volcanic island. Um, it's fairly, I don't want to say poor, but there's definitely some country communities that we would see as kind of a lower income community, that sort of thing. So there are some, there were some monetary issues there, but it was really cool to build my own programs, um, transfer the knowledge to the coaches there and see the athletes grow so much from having a different coach there. After your experience there, what was the biggest thing that you learned in developing a program from the grassroots level? Um, I think it's coach education and, and not only formal coach education, but coaches having someone to bounce ideas off. There needs to be a network. Um, there needs to be trust in each other. So coaches can feel free to, to talk, especially in a situation like that, where it's a small country, there's no information really coming in except for every 10 years with a new coach. And, I think within the system, the coaches need to trust each other. There needs to be consistent language throughout a system, whether that be a club or a country. And if you're going to develop a program, you need to have people that are passionate about it because you're probably not not paying them. So you got to find the right individuals and educate them the right way. Was it hard to make the sport popular down there or create some hype around it? Um, No. The way I kind of came into it was I was the, you know, the... Everyone heard, okay, there's, there's some white volleyball coach on the island that's that's teaching the sport. You tan well. <laughs> I do. I do tan well. That's true. Um, but uh, they're so hungry for something new, and I was able to give it to them. I'm also very, and I'm not as high energy as I used to be when I was just coming out of university, but with young athletes with the youth i'm pretty high energy so i can really get them involved get them loving the sport um i bet you you could go back to some of those small communities deep in the bush and they still would remember the crazy white dude that came and yelled at him and played volleyball with them i think that was just part of it was just building up that that energy with them they're so hungry for play some of them weren't didn't have enough money for you know shoes there's no indoor courts it's all cement courts so just to go to a school bring 10 brand new volleyballs you were you were kind of a god you know it was it was very cool was it one of those countries where the losing team in the super bowl their all their paraphernalia made it to that country (laughs) i didn't see that part of it but um i guess some people would would think of it that way i was uh and and still i try and kind of connect and and send stuff over and not in a charity sense, but just in a, it's very expensive to get stuff to the island. Uh, it's tough. I remember we shipped, I don't know, 40 balls there. Um, and the company shipped them inflated. So it cost us, I don't know, oh my gosh. two or $3,000 in shipping. It was just outrageous. Like, um, so it's just a, so many weird problems 
that we never see in North America that you had to get around. And, and we have our own set of problems, but kind of just being able to solve those and dive headfirst into them was what I really think helped me out in that situation. It was really cool for you to see that, that perspective as well. Absolutely. Yeah. We're so spoiled here. Um, and like I said, that their communication is a bit different Their I guess I wouldn't say time management, but respect for being on time is a little different. If you were to say, okay, we're doing or suicide for every time you're every minute you're late for practice you would you would be doing suicides all practice because their culture doesn't feed in the same way so diving headfirst into a new culture that doesn't respect the same things that we do which i think is awesome i think it's totally fine is really interesting because you need to be able to think on your feet you need to be able to abandon your values uh not all of them but abandon some of them to efficiently coach those individuals so when it came to game time down there, what was the latest someone started a game from when the supposed set time was? I remember half my team showing up um, kind of, you know, 45 minutes into practice and there was no, there was no, no one cared. It was like, and if, when I first got there, no one even batted an eyelash. If someone wasn't there, you know, 45 minutes late, um there's no look of guilt on their face no right? no nothing and and obviously the parameters are a little different for them getting to practice who knows they might have had to walk 10 clicks but but yeah it was just very non-north american i could just imagine a north american football coach down there and it would just be chaos there would be no no chance it would work way too we're a little too military style up here i think for what they're used to so you finish up that gig in the caribbean and then you head home or you have another opportunity elsewhere? Uh, yeah, actually right back to London, right back to Fanshawe, uh, right back to London Volleyball Club. I was what they called their junior development coordinator. So they set me up with a couple kind of programs for kids. Probably, I think we were about ranging from six to 12, their feed the fire programs, that sort of thing. Pat Johnson, again, did a great job setting me up. Um, and I enjoyed what I was doing, but I don't think I had enough of it. I didn't have enough stimulation. Fanshawe was was good at night. Coaching club was fine. But part of me probably wasn't ready to just settle down. Part of me wasn't ready to just start coaching at that level. I don't know. There's something iffy about that point in time. So my when my buddy reached out to me about going to Sweden, um, it was like, I have to do that have to go uh, whether it's to play pro I was actually going out there to teach as well um, the volleyball part wasn't even the big thing I think it was just I needed some stimulation after living in the Caribbean for five months things were super excited exciting I think I was a little afraid to just settle down and stay in London that being said with that I definitely I don't think I made the wrong choice but I made a pretty selfish choice Leaving, I was leaving a couple of the programs I started in London with Pat, who had got me there pretty soon. Yeah, our Fanshawe was only halfway through the season. I was leaving there. My, I was coaching two club teams at the time, leaving those. Had to find new coaches for. So definitely selfish on my part. I don't think it was the wrong decision, but it was there was definitely a selfish component to it. Knowing what you know now, would you have made a different decision though? Um, well, yes, not at the time. I think I made the right decision. For where you were in For life. where I was. But I should have thought it out prior to that. And maybe that meant 
trying to go pro earlier because I had that bug or maybe that meant not taking the job in London but I, I still think things played out fine but unfortunately I had to make some some selfish decisions which I don't like at all that's not the type of person I am so your advice would be to just let things play out until or to let things run their course yeah no I think I just did what I thought I had to do at that time and I definitely didn't have to do it at that time uh, but it was a great opportunity because something like Sweden doesn't come around often either no no and I guess some people would say it's a once in a lifetime but also I guess I could have gone the following year if I really wanted to do that I could have really started training and that sort of thing um, I think I just had, I don't want to say a travel bug cause that sounds kind of lame, but I just was so afraid of settling down and staying in one spot at the time that I left. And I think if, if you're faced with a decision, you just have to go with kind of as cliche as it sounds, what feels right. And even though it didn't feel right entirely and I had to maybe hurt some people or that sort of thing, it felt, I think it was the right decision. So I, when it comes to advice, uh, I don't know, make your own decisions and live with them. And I definitely live with them now. And uh, every once in a while, I feel pretty crappy about it. But for the most part, it's all right. What kind of situation were you walking into in Sweden? Um, so walking into a team that was, I think at the time, they were probably, I don't know, definitely a losing record. Um, they needed a setter. Their setters just weren't performing. They had some, but they weren't performing. Volleyball-wise, walking into a fairly decent situation, they probably could have pushed. We could have pushed for a playoff spot. Um, but getting there, experiencing what they had as a coaching staff, experiencing what we see as professional, but we treat our college and university athletes way better than they would treat their really? professional athletes. Not in a, you know, they don't treat them badly. We just have access to more funds. Right. Um, I'm sure our budgets are way bigger. Athletic therapy, way better access. Facilities, way better. Equipment, way better. Um, it's just we have more money in the college and university we systems. We have it good again, right? Oh, for sure. We have it absolutely great. Uh, and not that Sweden's a top league. And, and I wasn't on a top team in that not top league. So that probably compounded. And I didn't get the most supportive experience financially. Um, that being said, the people that ran the club, coaches were awesome people. It was just a matter of adjusting from a North American university lifestyle to a team that, you know, it's about playing volleyball. It's not about the glitz and glam kind of thing. Strictly business. Uh, yeah, I guess so. I mean, other than that, off the court, uh, I was living with two of my old teammates. I actually had a cot in there little it was a one bedroom one guy was sleeping in the living room there's two of us in the bedroom i was on a cot um and we were teaching at a school during the day so we teach eight to four um then train head to practice i'll grab some food on the way it was a lot of fun but it was a lot of work it was too much um, i recommend anyone that's over there playing and you're not busy um get a job just don't get a 40 hour a week job because that was way, way too much time. Yeah, just something yeah. part time exactly. So I walked into an interesting situation, and I think that's what made it such a good experience. Um, but volleyball wise, I wasn't performing near what I used to be. Even if I was performing at what I used to be, I probably just would have been average. I think it was interesting volleyball wise. I would say I don't want to say the word disappointment, but it ended up not being what I loved about the trip or the four months. So then it was an easy decision for you to look elsewhere after four months, or 
Yeah, or well, was I mean, there a this, part of you that wanted to say, hey, let's give this a try some more? The season ends, and I think that was like, okay, that's the that's the final nail in the coffin. This volleyball thing playing-wise is not what I want to do anymore, which was perfect. Um, as much as these people say you like to go out on top, it was nice to say, okay, you can't really – well, I shouldn't say you can't do this. You shouldn't be doing this anymore. Well, how did your um, body react to after uh, that season? It was fairly bad. Um, at that point, I knew how to take care of my body a lot better after doing two years of kind of mobility research, research on strength and conditioning, stretching, nutrition. Um, so I was – much better prepared to take care of myself and the load was also less in sweden um that being said the knees still acted up again but it was only a four-month season so i didn't take me it didn't uh, take a toll on me i wouldn't say so after that that was like you said your yeah nail guess, in the coffin yeah yeah i guess you could either call it a swan song or a nail in the coffin that one was definitely a nail in the coffin um so from there uh, toured around Europe a bit, did the whole, you know, you only live once, go travel and backpack and that sort of thing. Where'd you go? Um, oh good. Where, where did I go? I went, um, Germany, stopped in Berlin with my parents. Then we went to, well, I was in Amsterdam. I was in Budapest, uh, a couple places in Italy. I stopped a couple places in Greece. I stopped. So I did about three weeks of just kind of popping around you know, just favorite, on my own. Favorite place? Um, I really liked Rome. Rome was cool. It wasn't uh, overwhelming for you at all? No, no. Just the history there was very cool. Yeah. And to think of something being that old was like almost too much for my brain. But um, very Being, being very in the Colosseum was pretty eerie, hey? Yeah. Yeah. And I thought it was like so almost fake. It almost seemed fake because it was so cool. You're like, you know? I'm here. Yeah. Yeah. And like... <laughs> what went on here how long ago it went on right is just incredible i i really enjoyed enjoyed rome i enjoyed everywhere but rome was cool history wise that's for sure well in the pasta come on now yeah 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 at the time i was eating pasta and it was there was a lot <laughs> of it for sure yeah pasta and pizza Absolutely. well you were still in your peak metabolism years weren't yeah, you? yeah yeah i don't know yeah i probably still in all right shape not as good as when i was playing in university but uh, definitely not after that trip. I actually weighed in at the heaviest I ever did after that trip, and that was 208 or something. So I was uh, I was feeling pretty solid after that. So then you make your way back to Ontario after that traveling bit in, in Europe? Yeah, yeah. So came back to Ontario. I had some camps lined up, some beach camps in Toronto. Uh, moved in with a buddy there. Um, so we did about three months of camps. Um, and during those three months, applied for the state job. Applied for another job in Ontario. Well, I probably applied for about 100 jobs, but two that were notable. Uh, it was one with the OVA and then SATE. So SATE comes calling. Yeah. Yeah. They offered me the position. Um, at the time, Lindsay Bax was the athletic director. She offered me the position. I was still waiting to hear. I was still interviewing for a job with Ontario Volleyball. That didn't end up working out. Um, but at the time, I was set on Ontario. I wanted to stay there. So I kind of just um, said, you know what, Sate, love to come work for you if you don't mind waiting for three weeks. At that time, we're probably mid-July, beginning of August. Um, so they need to find a coach for the upcoming season. So just kind of right as I didn't get the other job, I call Sate. Um, they still had the position open. 
hopped into it, uh, I believe about two weeks after that, probably I was on the plane out to Calgary. Was that an easy decision for you to make though? Because that's a big move across the country. Yes. Yeah. It was pretty easy at the time. Uh, and a move across the country, it was only smaller than a move across the globe, which I had just done. Right. So as soon as I didn't get that other job, I needed work and I knew say it was a great opportunity. It just, like you said, was not where I wanted to be at the time. Right. Yeah. Um, but I wasn't really invested in Toronto. Uh, so I didn't even think as soon as I didn't get that OVA job, I, I just immediately accepted the state one and being 25 years old at the time, I didn't really look at the consequences of moving anywhere. Did you do a lot of research on SAIT, the Trojans, the ACAC, any of that? Any background recon before you came out here? Uh, I definitely did some research. Did I do enough? Probably not. Uh, did I do enough before making a move across the country? Definitely not. Knowing what I know now, I would, and even some interviews I went through not too long ago, would I would research a place way, way more um, before not only moving or getting a job, but, but before interviewing for a job, that's for sure. You should know the, that place like the back of your hand. Um, I knew a little bit about Calgary. I honestly knew nothing about SATE, their history. But you don't really know about a program unless it's a Red Deer or unless it's a perennial powerhouse out east or something, right? So, so you were saying that knowing what you know now, it would have been a little bit different. Um, what were some big key learning moments for you um, or things that you're like, man, I wish I had prepared for this better. Yeah. And and I don't think I would have made any different decisions just to put a precursor on that. But um, knowing the financial commitment that institutions make out here to their athletes and to their coaches, it's just much greater than Ontario. And knowing that, I think I would have been even more keen to take the job, I guess, if that's, if that's hmm. possible. Yeah. Um, knowing that the job I have now is probably a pretty great job when it comes to CCAA spots, positions. So again, probably would have been more keen. Um, knowing that Calgary is as much of a powerhouse as it is with volleyball, and that's club systems up to university, probably would have been more keen. So I, I almost think I should have been more keen on the job, taking the job, than I was um, and that was kind of a whirlwind when I f whirlwind when I first got here. You know, I got to deal with all this money to pay my players. I got to, you know, think about how I'm going to navigate through the club system in Calgary. Um, so that would have been nice to know um, before just jumping headfirst into it. That being said, it was fun, great learning experience, and it'll, and people helped me through it. But it would have been nice to have more than two weeks coming into uh, the first practice. Well, actually, the first practice was the day I got there. Um, when I landed in Calgary, but it uh, would have been nice to have more than just a preseason to get to know the surroundings, I guess. It was also a bit of a transition for you too, in terms of getting used to a completely new system, um, yeah. new, like you were saying, new conference, and maybe even expectations and the culture perhaps with the team. Like what for were sure. you stepping into at State your first year? Yeah, I think the ACAC has a very interesting culture surrounding its sport and I think it's great how well they support their athletes and their coaches especially when a lot of the athletes don't go on to play a higher level um, some a lot of them do um, and a lot of them progress to the u-sport level 
um, which is also an interesting thing that doesn't really happen out east. There's not a ton of college transfers. Really? To university, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so that was really, really interesting to see um, and, and navigate through that. But as for team culture, tech school, I'm not a tech guy. I remember coming in and <laughs> calling a couple of the guy, guys tradesmen, and they were not happy with that. They prefer... <laughs> engineers or petroleum engineers and that sort of thing so that was always a pretty good pretty good laugh but and and figuring out what they were all about how far they were willing to go what they wanted to get out of the team what they saw as the best student athlete experience did they necessarily want to practice twice or three times a day and hit the weight rooms every single night probably not no and I think that was a bit of an adjustment especially when you're brought here to coach and you you're not going to do as much as you could in a way Um, that being said my only job isn't to coach it is to give the best student athlete experience so I need to keep in mind the academic portion athletic portion the social portion piecing all those together to give a a student a better experience while they're here sorry I just wanted to sidebar for a quick second you were just talking about how you don't see a lot of college transfers out east why Mm -hmm. is that well, the the college league in Ontario isn't necessarily as strong throughout, I wouldn't say. That being said, they have some good teams. I, I don't know. I think when I was there, it just seemed more like I was there so much for school um, when I was playing volleyball. Right. Yeah. I, was, I wasn't there for volleyball. So a guy that would go to college, would, would go to college, then go to work. And a guy that would go to university, would go to university for his time, then go to work. And so that seemed, and maybe it's different now, and there's a little bit of change because there's some pretty strong programs. But at the time, the schools were mostly known for their academics, right? For you sure. And, about- and the academic difference between college and getting into a university was pretty tough. Right, yeah. Um, and not that that's any different out here, I wouldn't say, for most of the schools, but there are a few schools that maybe are a little bit easier but it just seemed like it was a feeder system in a way end of the road in another way so coming back to sate i've always wanted to ask you this question do you find it much of a challenge knowing in the back of your mind that maybe you have a guy for two years because that's usually the extent of the program that they're in versus maybe four or five years say at the university level yeah uh, and it's tough in a sense that you can't develop them but we're also not here just to develop them I guess at the same time I think you can't see it as like a problem or oh I only get them for two years you get them for two years so that's one of your parameters for doing your job so if you put make it as an excuse you're just not never going to be successful so what do you have to do to make the use of that two years is either kind of recruit them for longer have them stay longer or only bring in athletes that are going to give you something in those two years. Mm, Um, Can I necessarily bring in a project that's only going to stay around for a one or two year program? Not really. Right. Um, And then there's also the, the battle of bringing in a great player that I think can get super good. Are they going to stay in the college league? So there's a weird balance um, in having gone to university um, gotten the academic experience, the athletic experience. I think I'm more prone than I should be to progress athletes to that next level. I should see my benefit, see my institution's benefit, and want to keep them there. But at the same time, if the athlete's goal is to play at a little higher level, I need to keep that interest in the in the front of my mind. So you guys go 17 and 7 for that first year you were there, but 
prior to that, I just remember the club not having too much success. So what what could you attribute to that turnaround? Um, so quickly, even. Yeah, I mean, we got to remember I came on board um, when Trent, Mount, Trent Mounter came on board. So an all Canadian helps. Um, but I think we just we I think we dialed back the volume a bit um, compared to prior years. Um, and that allowed kind of the athletes to succeed in, in different ways on and off the court. I, I don't know. I, I think it was, obviously, I'm not going to downplay the effect I had on the program, but I also think um, Trent getting there was big. Guys progressing into their fourth and fifth years were, was big. Um, we had some great pieces. The coach that was there prior to me did did some good work recruiting um, and developing his guys. So There were some pieces in place then. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah no, there was definitely pieces. Um, I think I walked into a fairly good team, to be honest with you, and a fairly good program, a well-established program with, with fundraisers and, and outreach, that sort of thing. So it wasn't like I was walking into a bottom-of-the-barrel program um, or a brand-new program. It was, it was well-established. So volleyball-wise, that was a pretty seamless transition then. Yeah, it was pretty smooth. I, I really enjoyed first coming to SAIT. The people that were at SAIT helped me out a ton. It wasn't as smooth maybe administratively. We can get into that in a bit. But volleyball-wise, yeah, I was well-supported. Um, financially, I was, I don't want to say in heaven, but much different from what we see out east. And in a in a hotbed what is which is calgary for for volleyball for recruiting what were some of the challenges administratively for you then just turnover i mean at the time we had no director of athletics and recreation which is now wade Lindsay Bax ended up leaving uh shortly after i got there a few months um then wade came in and then bob murray came in um probably in february i think of my first year so some turnover there, and it wasn't not smooth. It was fine transition-wise. It's just when you're starting a job in a new city, um, they load on a little more change. But luckily, I deal with that kind of stuff all right, I think. Are you able to expand on how movement at the top really affects you as yeah. a coach and from a volleyball perspective? So I think you, just as much as, as a coach, you're goals need to align with your athletes your goals also need to align with your administration being at a big institution that's well funded in a big city some very high standards would put on us or on the program as i think they should be we're in a good situation but as that turnover occurs you need to sit down have those talks where does your boss expect you to be at the end of the year um what are we doing financially um where does my job lie i never really felt vulnerable job wise but you never know funding wise yeah you just never know that Absolutely. sort of thing yeah. right so and then you bring in um, an athletic a new athletic director who's going to have their own vision for things and bob murray's got a ton of great vision so it's awesome to have them and i definitely lucked out with both those guys but uh but it's just change and change is kind of tough probably less tough on me than it was for some of the other coaches i would say was it distracting to the team at all though uh, or your performance with the team? No, I don't think so. I really, I am the gateway from the athletes to the administration. At that time, I had to be um, because there was some coaching turnover that wasn't super smooth, some administration turnover that wasn't super smooth. Um, so I needed to, I don't want to say guard them because I don't think it was that bad, but I needed to make sure that what they were hearing, what they were seeing um, appeared to be smooth. 
yeah. as and you they didn't want. need that extra distraction anyway right exactly and and quite honestly a lot of 18 or 19 year old guys don't care anyways well, that's right <laughs> as long as they have their jerseys their bus on game day and some meal money they're fine yeah, so and as long as the wi-fi signal is strong it's safe <laughs> exactly yeah, exactly so i don't maybe i overthought about it even who knows hey so we go into your second year at sate you return a lot of the same guys but what are the expectations like going from year one to year two uh, so when we finished up with a fourth at Provincials and we're returning the entire starting line, I think pretty high. Most teams probably had us pinned as the first or second um, team in the South. Yeah, you and Red Deer. Uh, Red or Deer, Medicine yeah. Hat. Medicine Hat was also, yeah, yeah. kind of looking to be pretty strong. Um, so most teams had us probably in the mix. And anytime you're supposed to be good, if you don't win, you're not doing your job i guess right so fairly high pressure but at the same time i had a ton of confidence in my guys ton of confidence in some of the new coaches i brought in as well did expectations and standards look different between you and your players in the second year you know what not as much as i think will happen this year Um, but uh a little bit there were some some small changes but i knew what my players motivation was after having them all for a year and they were i don't want to say set in their ways some of them but they knew what they were good at and they liked to to do those things so my expectations i didn't raise my expectations a ton we went with similar volume similar commitment i tried to do some of the off-court stuff a little bit better um, but on the court we weren't too too different training style wasn't too too different and i'm guessing it's probably key that you're communicating with your players on their level and everyone looks different is that right yeah 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 no for sure uh, we had some very different individuals of a widespread of of guys some are great communicators some aren't some are very uh, academic let's say some are not um, some are very social some are not so you need to be able to Again, be empathetic, get into their shoes. What are they doing here? Are they just here for two quick years, get a petroleum engineering degree and they're out of here? Or are they here for five years? They absolutely love it. They would do anything for the team. Um, or do they want to progress on to university? So what is their motivation? And I had a ton of different motivations last year and the year before, which I'm hoping to make a little more dense in our, in our motivation um, this year. But... Uh, yeah, absolutely. You got to appeal to everyone. You can't just leave someone aside. That being said, having all those different characters and stories and situations, does that affect a team positively or negatively or not really at all? I like to think, just because my mom used to always say it, that variety is the spice of life. Um, And having all those different um, viewpoints, those different ideas, it does breed some some sort of dispute on the team sometimes it can can breed some sort of problems um but i think it also breeds kind of a greater resolve from those problems so when you get over that hump um you're stronger for it similar to kind of a scar tissue being stronger you know you kind of have those problems you work them out and you're stronger for it so i think that helped us out and i'm a fairly i don't want to say strong i'm all right at managing those those little 
altercations, let's say. Um, and I think it, it worked out good for us and, and helping my athletes see I'm not the only one that needs to know their motivation. They need to know each other's. So in your second season at the helm with the Trojans, you end up going 20 and four on the year, Mm -hmm. just four losses. Some would say that's smooth sailing for you guys. Was it hard to keep focused though? Uh, I think it wasn't at the time. It may have been more looking back on it, and we should have done more. But you start getting those national rankings, start feeling pretty good, and the guys' motivation never kind of wavered. They never gave less effort. But I think you get a little bit contempt with where you are and how good you're doing things. Um, You also don't get your weaknesses exposed as much when you're, like you said, smooth sailing. So I think... Looking back, I should have been more critical of wins, more critical of a a good record. What's still going wrong? There's always something going wrong. Looking back on the season now, can you identify where those plateaus happened? Was it middle of the season? Was it near the end, heading into nationals even? Or where was Um, it? There's always something about that mid-season break that helps you or doesn't help you um tyler was out the whole first half so that was interesting him coming back into the squad and into the lineup in the second half brought a little energy in a different way i don't know if maybe that was more energy or maybe would have been better off with him not being in the lineup um but he played awesome he was playing great ball um so that definitely put a little twist on things but then you have the six guys only playing together for three months instead of seven months right so uh yeah definitely uh you look back and you think oh it's a weird experience to not have one of your starters who started in the provincial final did an awesome job probably one of your best players there but he wasn't playing for the whole first half. So it's really two different seasons. Can you shed some light on some of the adversity that your team faced throughout the year? Because, yeah, like I said before, anyone can look at this 20-4 and record and be like, man, you guys just swept the floor with the ACAC South. But obviously you guys had some adjustments you had to go through. You brought one of those up, Tyler, coming back in the second half and having to make those adjustments. But anything else that you can talk about? Um, I think we did a pretty good job of managing the adversity so it never became... A huge amount. There was guys who were close to not coming back for the second half for academic reasons. There was guys in a little bit of financial trouble, uh, maybe late on some tuition payments. And I don't look at those things as bumps in the road because I think they're going to happen. So while, yes, they're a little tough to manage, this is just the, the job I work in. You need to be able to deal with those things. They're just a regular day-to-day happening. Other than that... Tyler coming back, not so much on on the court, but there it always causes some turmoil when you got guys coming back and in and out of the lineup. So there were some issues there, um, but all resolved. Guys were very mature about it. Are you big on team bonding? Like, do you set up a lot of activities for the guys to do outside of Satan? Um, I don't. I don't think I do, at least compared to other coaches. We don't go on any hiking trips or low ropes courses. Uh, one thing's time and other things money um yeah but uh no I, I i think team bonding will happen with college-aged athletes um and i think that you know i think i'm stealing this actually i was listening to a podcast the other day the trust that you build on the court is is probably more important than the stuff you build off the court when you're looking at winning a championship and the only way you can build that trust is through practicing hard together trusting each other playing 
playing hard together, getting that experience where that guy has had your back in that scenario or he made the right decision. So I don't know if there's a huge correlation between getting 18 guys over a wall using a human ladder and winning a, a championship final. That being said, I really don't think it hurts. So I think there's no. a huge benefit. And if you have the resources, you have the time, go for it. But I, I don't mind just handing it off to some of the social leaders on the team and saying, make sure everyone's at your shindig on Saturday night and that sort of thing. That's interesting. You were talking about how trust has developed more on the court. Would you say more trust has developed in practice or in game situations? Um, ah, a bit of both. Different kinds of trust. Um Different levels, maybe. Different hey. levels. Um, I think more respect is probably developed in practice. Whereas okay. more trust, can they actually do the things they did in practice in a game, is built in a game. Right. Um, but I think you, you respect your fellow athletes. You respect your coach in practice with the work they're putting in. Do you never necessarily trust every single one of them to perform on Saturday? Maybe not. Um, but you know that they're coming in Monday working hard. Um, and if you don't have that respect, I doubt that that trust will follow heading into playoffs was your team's mentality where it needed to be or was everyone just on a super high and that you had to bring them down a little bit uh we were confident but but a good amount of confident and a confident i hadn't seen in the program before because we none of these guys have ever won right none of them have ever won they've always been a first or maybe second round playoff team right um, from the guys that were there at that time um, the banner hanging on the wall was from 2009. So anyone that was with the program then is long removed. Um, so there, there wasn't a winning attitude. There wasn't a winning belief until kind of leading into that provincial championship, I think. Uh, so we were still working hard. Guys were confident. Um, some problems were masked because we were confident, because we were playing well enough to win a provincial championship, I think. But that shined through in the, in the national championship. Um, but no, guys are in a good headspace heading into Provs, uh, and I think it showed when we when we got on the court. You guys end up winning gold. That was a huge accomplishment. But what was what do you think was the toughest match for you guys? Um, well, we yeah, we definitely did pretty well at that championship. I mean, we didn't drop a set uh, throughout our quarter, our semi, and our final. Uh, the final was definitely the toughest opponent. I think Keanu was the best team. Um, I think the guys were most nervous for the quarter. Um, ironically, I mean, we, we handled that one pretty, pretty well. Um, Briarcrest, we knew was a good team. We just lost to them. Having your starter back in is a little, a little different, but, um, I think definitely the final was our toughest match. And while yes, we won every set outside of the quarter, I think most of those sets were two points. So we pulled it up and in, in after twenties and, and, did well in the big boy points, but all those matches and all those sets were close. So you guys win provincials and you get that gold medal around your neck and then you find out nationals out in Victoria and that's yep. a completely new experience for your squad. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, uh, I mean, none of them have been to, the, to uh, the national championship when it comes to provincials. We did a great job. We're on a feeling super great. Um, and, and probably didn't analyze what was going on enough as coaches in the provincials because we were too busy winning, I guess, pretty blinded, pretty uh, immature coaching move on my part. But I think the guys leading up to that, you could feel a little bit of a weird tone in the gym. Um, like during practice out there. 
uh, practice out there, practice at home. When we right. lost our gym for the week before, we were practicing at MRU. Okay. Um, but you kind of don't know whether you want to address it or whether you leave it. And if the guys are thinking the same thing as you, and we question and question and see if they bring it up. But looking back, there was a little bit of a weird tone, but obviously it wasn't alarming enough to address. So then you get to the tournament and socially guys were normal, but on the court, we I remember we had a terrible practice the day before our, uh, our quarter. Um, but again, do you want to, do you want to acknowledge it or do you kind of let it go? And so I think we decided on a middle ground. I can't remember exactly what we did, but clearly it was the wrong thing to do. But, um, then you headed into the recorder and I think it just showed that we weren't prepared and that comes from coaching error and inexperience of guys never being there. Uh, I don't think anyone on the court played near their best. From what I remember, Tyler had a pretty good quarter. Other than that, no one really performed that well. When when did you know, oh man, we're in for a rough ride here? Uh, kind of first few points, guys. That early, hey? Looks on their faces. Yeah. Um, now I thought even with that, our talent could have gotten us through. Our systems weren't as ingrained as I thought because when things got thick... Um, things got high pressure, they fell apart. And if your systems are ingrained enough at that point, um, it doesn't matter what the scenario, you're going to be fine. And I think that's what got masked in provincials that I didn't address was, you know, guys being out of position, guys setting the wrong ball, guys making the wrong decisions. Um, We didn't coach them up enough through the year because what we were doing, I think, was good enough. So uh, looking back, was should have been much harder and much more demanding on the learning component and making sure things were more ingrained than they were. I think it was shocking for a lot of people back home when they found out the the results the next day. For sure. And, and, and seeing you guys just drop, what, all three three sets, I believe, right? Yeah, yeah, no, it wasn't only, you know, a loss. It was a, a very bad loss. They played a great game, don't get me wrong. They were much, much better than I had anticipated and what I saw on video. Right. Um, but I, I didn't try and portray that to my athletes at all I, I still knew we were in for a battle but yeah it was an upset right and in every sense of the word it was a seven rank against a two rank and they beat us and, and very handily um that being said i'd been part of three or four national championship upsets as an athlete and i should have known that when it's one game anything can happen and you need to prepare your athletes for that when adding on to that from a coaching perspective, what were some learning moments that you wanted to take away with you from that experience? Uh, I think that the biggest thing I learned is that I need to do a better job expecting more out of my athletes. Um, I think it was fairly high on my priority list to be liked by my athletes and to not cause too much friction. Um, and that showed with a lower standard of execution but also just a lower standard of obedience to our systems to our decision making i need to nag a little bit more i need to expect a little bit more and and not that i'm going to be a a totally different coach but i need to up my expectations with my athlete athletes so that when we get to the point where they can't hear um, they are automatic and they're still making decisions they're still taking in the information and making the right decision um, but they're able to do it under pressure 
Mm-hmm. And cause there's no way you're going to get rid of that pressure. And if we don't get back to a national championship for another couple of years, it can't be another excuse of they weren't ready cause they were never there. Right. They weren't ready cause I didn't make them ready. I feel like the accountability piece is huge too. hundred percent. And, and my guys on the court hold each other accountable, but when it got thick, we didn't know what to hold each other accountable for. We didn't realize the things that were falling apart. We tried to win. We didn't necessarily better the ball where we should have been. And they were more trying to score where we weren't able to. But I think we we just didn't adhere to what we thought we knew from the rest of the year. So we didn't do a good job of playing the way we did the rest of the year because it wasn't ingrained in them the way it should have been. Switching gears a little bit here. You had the unique opportunity to participate in one volleyball, semi-professional volleyball in Calgary, and you actually were one of the head coaches for the men's team, the WM Greenbacks. Mm-hmm. What are some of the differences from a coaching standpoint between coaching the regular season, St. Trojans, and the Greenbacks? Obviously, there's the calendar difference where you only have a couple months with mm-hmm. this team, but maybe you can also expand a bit on that. Yeah, well, and, and another big difference is the fact that, I mean, SAID is my job and, and One Volleyball is essentially a volunteer opportunity. Um, so the, I don't want to say the thought you put into it is less, um, but I can't sit there and practice plan for two hours and I can't watch four hours of video. And for me, that's a very weird feeling because I like to put in 100% to everything I do. And and I pride myself on on working super hard, but I had to realize that, Okay, I need to do stuff that I'm getting paid for. That being said, interestingly enough, the level was higher than my regular job, right? The, the athletes were a little better, at least. I don't know if we, if all the teams were playing as well as they could have. But um, so it was very interesting for me to navigate through what should I be doing, what shouldn't I be doing. Um, then when it came to athlete motivation, I was pretty wrong, I think, on what the athlete's motivation was going to be like in some ways. In some ways, I knew guys were going to start tapering off come July and miss some practices, and as was I. Or be um, out of the country. Or be out of the country, yeah, exactly. Um, I knew guys wanted to develop. I didn't know they wanted to develop as much as they did. So I had guys really? from UFC. I had guys heading into pro. I had guys on from my uh, SATE team, and everyone, we did a little kind of a fill out a little questionnaire at the start of the year and everyone was very development focused. They really wanted to improve um, and not just, you know, stay in shape, but, but learn, uh, which was awesome. And I don't think I capitalized on as much of that as I could have, but I also don't have the resources and I'm not getting paid. So I can't, you know, sit in a gym with just four of the guys and for sure yeah. run them through some individuals and that sort of thing. So was scouting hard at the beginning? I know I ran into you at the combine there, but um... uh, yes. And not, <laughs> And especially for me, because I've only been here for two years. So if they weren't in the system, um, in the university or club system or college system, or fresh out, or I didn't play them, play against them in university, which was very few, the guys that were far removed, I had no idea. And if they weren't at the combine, I really had no idea. So in hindsight, I had some pretty good help from the owners and, and Brett Walsh was my contact as well. Um, and then Colton, my assistant and Jesse Elser. So we put together a good feeling, but there was definitely some guys that we missed out on that we should have grabbed up. Hmm. Yeah, but very interesting from a, from a drafting perspective. And 
probably the most important thing is just guys not knowing their summer plans. What are they going to miss? What are they not? And unfortunately, that happens, especially with 20-year-old guys. I play fantasy sports. I love drafting. Yeah. Did you enjoy the draft or was it completely stressful and you don't want anything to do with it? No, I think that was my favorite <laughs> favorite part of the whole whole league was definitely the draft. I, I even told the guys, let's just play it out. Fantasy, can we auto-do the season and, and all the teams play each other? We don't even have to coach because that was a lot of fun. I think it would be a lot of fun as an owner as well. But yeah, no, it was great. It was tons, and it would be even more fun this year knowing what I know now with who's who and that sort of thing. Right, you're getting more familiar with the players exactly. and, and the styles. and Exactly, you want to, yeah. yeah. Anything valuable from your experience with One Volleyball this summer that you can take into this upcoming season? Um, yeah, I think I realized how important the volleyball IQ piece, um, the Q reading piece, decision-making piece is and how much that differentiates college players from university players. So to get my players to that next level, um, I need to, and not that my focus was all technical and tactical, but I need to switch it to a a huge reading and decision-making focus because those guys were far above a lot of my players, not all of them, but that's really what separates it. And, And you could see the high level players in that league and that was refreshing for me super strong decision makers they read the game well as well so i know you're quite involved with volleyball alberta and i know that was one of the organizations you wanted to get accustomed to and acquainted with when you first moved out here and even navigating the club system like you were talking about earlier so what did that journey look like for you in terms of diving right in and shaking the hands that you need to shake and hooking up with the people you need to hook up with. Yeah, I think, I mean, most of the big coaches, the big mentor coaches, that sort of thing are all involved in volleyball Alberta. So just building those contacts was huge. I know last year I knew no one heading into that experience and it was awesome to get to know those people on and off the court. Um, Getting my name out to the athletes was fairly important, especially from the college scene. You don't draw as much attention from the club scene. Um, So as a coach, I think you need to be out there getting your name out, um, letting those athletes know that they can get a stellar coaching experience at the college level was important for me. Um, I'm also young, so parents sending their athletes to me I need to have as much on my resume. I need to have as many organizations as I can behind me um, for when it comes to recruiting or getting other jobs. You need the the, the okay from those organizations because really the way the system is set up, we don't have a professional scene. So the Kings are really universities, colleges, PSOs, and NSOs, and, and really NSOs, I would say. What have you noticed between the youth communities for volleyball between here in the West and maybe out East? Um, Yeah, definitely a difference. Obviously, population changes a lot when it comes to Ontario. Calgary is just an anomaly, and there's there's so much talent that comes out of Calgary that it... And I don't think it's like this all over the West, but um, although Edmonton's pretty strong as well, Hmm. um, just more dense talent in the West. If, if 
Ontario only had 3 million people like Alberta does. There was no chance they would pump out the same number of athletes that, um, that Alberta does. That being said, it's changing quite a bit since I've been out of the club system and, and I think they're doing a, a way better job out there. But Alberta just has a, a density amongst its talent. That's, that's pretty crazy. They do a good job of developing it. Um, you can always do a better job. I think there's still huge places where, where volleyball Alberta can improve and the club system out here can improve, but that's, you can pick apart anything if you, if you try hard enough. So, um, I wouldn't say it's better one place or another. The West has a little more history of, of putting out more national team athletes, but I think we'll see that shift to a consistent amount from the population each province has shortly. Thanks so much for coming in, Sean. Thank you for providing such a interesting scope into the life of coaching and just your journey through playing and your decision to then step into that coaching realm. I think that's very fascinating and people can learn a lot from it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Hopefully I didn't uh, go into too much depth and bore too many of you. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this episode of Reading the Play. For more content, don't forget to hit that subscribe button. And you can also download other episodes at sportcalgary.ca. Be sure to check out the Facebook page Reading the Play and to stay up to date on the latest RTP news, including new episodes on the way. Make sure to follow on Instagram at Reading the Play and myself, Jeremy Lee at Legacy. I really hope there is a piece of Sean's story that impacts, inspires, and ignites you to help you win your day. And as always, I'll catch you in the next episode.